I know we we are on this show firm advocators of pointing out the best head explosions ever. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Part one. Think the internet. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Yet another battle of cinematic picks. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the show, and, and God help you, why aren't you? Um, in this uh, series, Duncan and I, uh, esteemed movie fans, each of us, I feel, mm-hmm. uh, will select a film the other person hasn't watched that we feel like they should watch, and more importantly... That is so good, the other person couldn't possibly pick a movie this good. <laughs> and we have been, uh, as, as the show has evolved over the first season, we have we have started to to pick uh, themes for each episode, which is, uh, I, I think, where we'll end up heading in season two as well. I think so, yeah. And uh, so this week we have chosen Westerns. Uh, which is much like jazz music, a uniquely American uh, institution, mm-hmm. although it has been in, certainly co-opted by uh, everyone from the likes of uh, the Italians with the Man uh, with No Name series, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, the Japanese certainly, and you know, all over the world, the the American West has lent itself to uh, to different movies, and it, both of these films, although one is certainly more traditional. Both have very interesting things to say about the Western, mm-hmm. I, I feel. And, I think so, yeah. Uh, but before we get into uh, who has, in fact, come most correct uh, and, and the choices that we have selected to demonstrate our cinematic knowledge and prowess, um, we like to begin with uh, just a little discussion about what we've seen recently, good or bad. That has uh, has been tickling our fancy and or driving us crazy. Uh, and I have one of each of those. But uh, first, Duncan. Yes. Uh, how are you and what have you been watching? I am doing fantastic. Um, it's strange to think this is us almost finished season one. Only one more show after this. And then a slight hiatus while we recoup and readjust our lists of movies to come back for for more battle in season two, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm doing really well, and I've been the thing is I think I said on the the previous episode, this is award season, so in the UK we are getting a lot of the the, the big films are now starting to come over, um, the ones that are hotly tipped. Uh, rightly or wrongly, um, for awards are appearing at our cinemas. So I've been I've been tracking those ones down. I did manage to go out and check out The Birdman uh, with Michael Keaton, which I will say right now is an excellent movie, and Michael Keaton is really good in that movie. I think I, I would have no problems with him winning an Oscar for his p- performance in it. I think he... he the, I've always I've always thought he was a really good actor anyway. Um I think sometimes unfortunately as good as the the portrayal by him of Batman was unfortunately I think he got stereotyped with that for quite a while. Took a while to shake it off and he's been doing kind of quirky things since then. But his performance in this one kind of captures that kind of wry and dry sense of humor which I associate with him. Um as well as a really captivating performance. I think I think the movie itself is, is quite an interesting concept, but one that I, I kind of fully support. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Um, however, this year thus far has been dominated by Whiplash, 
My oh, God, I saw movie. that recently oh. as well. Oh my goodness. What a fucking movie. What a, what a movie, honestly. And if, if someone had told me that 2015 would kick off with me praising from the heavens uh, a movie about jazz drumming, I would have slapped him in the face and called him a liar, bull because that's what John Wayne would do. Huh? Huh? Yep, and, and also the teacher uh, in Whiplash. Yeah, which is very funny. So, um, I, I think it's a fantastic performance. Once again, um, I think the acting is spot on. I don't, I don't think we need to, to um, even remotely think that Oscars won't be going that way in the best supporting actor category. I think oh, that no. one's pretty much. I think that one's pretty much a shoe in, um, and rightly so. Once again, phenomenal performance. Uh, so really, really enjoyed that. Um, what I have been doing, though, because as most people out there know, I'm a bit of a horror fan. I have some horror shows. Um, has been recently kind of... Uh, I've always been fascinated and always really enjoyed the subgenre known as the giallo. Um, I'm a big, massive fan of Argento, which, once again, people will know about me. Um, but recently... Uh, I started uh, another podcast which has been looking at video nasties. Yeah, and yeah, on yeah. That list, Great show, yeah, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Um, and we, on our episode number two, which is about to drop, um, or will have dropped by the time this one uh, comes out, there is a review of um, what is known in my country as either Bloodbath or a Bay of Blood, but in America it's known as Twitch of the Death Nerve, which is the coolest name for a movie ever. Hands down. I mean, that is just... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Both are pretty good. Bay of Blood is pretty good, but Twitch of yeah. the Death Nerve is the, the best. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. And um, of course, for those that don't know, it's a Mario Bava movie. And I, I must admit, I, I am a fan of Bava, but I, I sometimes... I sometimes overlook his work, and I don't necessarily know why. Um, so recently, I've been going back through a bit of a Bava kick, and um, I sat down and watched uh, Black Sabbath, his anthology, because I'll put out a Blu-ray of it, and I'll be, I, I'm going to make a bold statement, because I like doing them on podcasts, but could be one of my favourite anthologies ever. Like, okay, just, like, okay. Ever. Um, there's, there's a particular one in that, uh, with the, have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen Black Sabbath? Oh, yeah, 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 it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah really, and I mean, it's not, it's not fantastic all the way through, I think there is, I think the one which is set in kind of the, the gothic medieval times, um, the one that actually does star, uh, it's Karloff, Karloff? Yeah, yeah Karloff. as the, yeah. uh, what, what do they call him? It's not, uh... <laughs> Uh, what is the name of the creature he plays? Holy, holy yeah. shit! I can't, I can't believe I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> I've just drawn a blank. I watched it like last week as well. Uh, but the, that one uh, is not my favorite one in there. Um, I quite like the telephone. I think the telephone is really good. However, uh, a drop of water um, is one of the creepiest shots I think I've ever seen. I think it is absolutely fantastic. The look on the 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 kind of old uh, woman's face as she's floating through the air um, is horrific. I mean, absolutely horrific. And everything about that scene with the, the colours, the music, the, the camera angles and all the rest, and I'm looking at that going, I, I can see why our gentle way that went the way he did, because he always said that Bava was a huge influence on him. I can see... I mean, watching that, I can see direct influences on things like Suspiria. I mean, it's just... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, just absolutely jaw-dropping. And when you think when that movie came out, it's just uh, absolutely phenomenal. So, um, have you ever checked out... Uh, this is the last thing I'll say, and then I will uh, leave the floor for yourself. Have you ever checked out any of the history of horror stuff by uh, Mark Gattis? 
the guy um, from the League of Gentlemen. I have not. Right, he did a he did a BBC series um, where he went through what he classed as the three main eras of horror. And it was like a three part thing. It's excellent. You can get it on YouTube. I'll I'll link you in later on um, to do with it. It's, it's it's really cool because he's very much into his horror and he goes and speaks to the people involved with the the Universal works and then through into the the Hammer era and then up to the birth of the slasher. So he kind of goes through all that and goes through it. He then followed up a couple of years later where he he specifically looked at the growth of European horror. So starting with Nosferatu and going through Dr. Caligari and right up to the birth of Italian horror, Spanish horror, French horror, and kind of covers that in a, like, it's an hour and a half documentary. And it's fascinating, and it got me watching that, and from that I have compiled a list of things that I I now need to check out. I've got a, I've got a book for my Christmas, uh, La Dolce Morte, which is, a, I believe, is the only proper book on Jallo movies. And I've been taking a list from that. So yeah, I think I think in the foreseeable future there's going to be a lot of jalo from me. So what about yourself? Uh, before I jump into movies I've been watching, uh, mm-hmm. Wordulek is the name of the creature that Boris Karloff played. In ah Black yes. So, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, don't think me. Think the internet, Duncan. <laughs> how would how would how would this have worked? Right. See if we were were in the same room, like maybe 15 years ago, how would we have got the answer to that? Other than actually having to drive home and get the DVD cover and look at it. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> that would be it. Or or calling people smarter than us. Um, and Which is hard to find, Duncan. Not going <laughs> to lie to you. <laughs> they are tough, tough to find. Um, yeah, I okay. So I have been uh, watching some Oscar movies as well. You know, Whiplash we discussed. And I just want to say, in it, to add to that conversation very briefly, I hate it when people say that a performance is a revelation, because mm. most of the time that is total bullshit. Yeah. J.K. Simmons' performance in Whiplash is truly a revelation. Yeah. Uh, of like, yeah. Oh, holy crap, he is one of the best actors we've got. Mm-hmm. You know, because he gets he gets typecast into those kind of quirky character roles, and and seeing him just run amok with yeah. this part holy god that is he a commits he com- yeah he commits to it 100 and I, I would agree he's, a, he's an actor that i've always thought when he's he, he does get typecast and whenever i've seen him in movies he's very good at what he does i mean he's very very good he, he always puts a, a very, not even just a convincing performance but an excellent performance in what he's typecast too but to see him at the age he's at now, kind of just being given free range to, to really fill out that role. I'm really excited to see where he goes in future, you know, movie choices. I think as, as sarcastic and um, as it may sound to, to someone like him to say that, but I really think that, you know, that his kind of renaissance, his, his true career that he will be remembered for long after he's gone is going to probably start from now onwards. I think he's really... And I, like I say, I love his performances in other movies and television that he's done as well. But I can't wait to see where he goes from this because I, I just hope that he now starts getting the opportunity to explore all these different avenues that he could have done, but he was never given the opportunity beforehand. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine if we uh, ha- have a film with Jake Gyllenhaal and Jake Simmons? Or Jake oh, Simmons? Yeah, oh, that's the end. Of, that's the end of days right there. That's the end of- <laughs> No, honestly, I don't think we can. I don't think we can. I don't know if I could actually handle that. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I think my head would explode like scanners. 
I, you know, I, as much as I love you, Duncan, <laughs> yes. I kind of want to make that movie now just to see <laughs> if you're as good as your word. And then I'll feel like shit. I'll be like, I killed Duncan. But I never really thought his head would explode. And then I would, I, I would be, you know, by the laws of the West, uh, yes. responsible for your wife and daughter at that point. You, so. you, you would be, you would be. I don't know if I like that, but <laughs> well, not you know, biblically responsible. But uh, anyway, let's talk about uh, what I've been watching. So, all right, so here's a real shitty movie I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a movie called The Ouija Experiment. Oh, I've heard of this, but I've not seen it. Uh, uh, and don't. I, I, <laughs> I don't uh, think I will. Yeah, I, I don't want anything I say to uh, pique your curiosity to a point where you feel like you should watch this movie. It is the absolute worst of what found footage movies are, Ugh. where it's a lot. It's bad actors being forced to improv, and they're quite frankly not up to the task. Mm-hmm. And a lot of going into dark rooms, and then a light comes on, and lo and behold, there's nothing there, but there's a music sting or something like that. It's just, it it absolutely wore me out. Uh, and, and the thing is, when I looked at my best of list last year, there was a lot of found footage on that list, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was surprising, you know, but, you know, when you have something like, uh, you know, Afflicted or now that I've seen Taking of Deborah Logan, you know, that's a mm-hmm. great found footage film. Uh, and then seeing something like this, it, it just reminds you that, oh, this is still a bastion of lazy and untalented filmmakers. Um, and yeah, th- so don't ever, 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 ever. <laughs> Ever, ever, ever see the Ouija experiment. It is, uh, I, I haven't seen the movie Ouija, mm-hmm. which I've heard was really bad. Um, yes. but I can't imagine that it, it, it seems like that would just be a walk in the park yeah. compared to something like the Ouija experiment, which is, you know, everything you don't like about found footage, only cheaper and with worse actors. Uh, so yeah. yeah, but, but Duncan, Mm-hmm. I also saw a little movie I like to call The Guest. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I, I've actually, I am very happy that you've seen this movie, and I'm very happy after reading your review. Uh, you did put your review up. That's what I read. It was yours, it wasn't. Yes, that was yeah, yeah. pinned by these hands, yes. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. Um, I, I thought I recognised the writing still. Um, I, I, I found myself thinking, this is why I have a show with Bo, because... Uh, I think quite a lot of the times we have a very like mind um, on these things. So tell me, tell me about it. I mean, yeah, yeah. At, at the risk of repeating myself, I, to me, the only there are very minor flaws in the film. I, I wasn't real crazy about the explanation of the backstory of this character. I thought yeah. it seemed a little too fantastic for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Um I and I'll also I wish there had been a little more time with the father character and uh you know feeling like I understood maybe uh not that I didn't understand his character but I I just wish there had been more of a relationship between him and the character of David who is the titular guest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um okay so the, the that's my problems with the film. Everything else about it I I I fucking loved. Uh I I thought <laughs> The acting was fantastic. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. every performance was great. I think Dan Stevens is a star. Yeah. Holy crap. He is really, really good in that movie. 
the the speed with which he can make that transition from you know oh i'm just here to help y'all to oh he's a psychotic murderer you yeah. can see it in his eyes yeah it, there are moments that are incredible uh where where that character just flips a switch and becomes incredibly menacing in in no time at all mm-hmm. um yeah, and I love the music in it. I think uh, it's something you and I had kind of discussed a little bit, but that movie manages to strike this very darkly comic tone mm-hmm. without sacrificing any of the impact of what you're seeing on screen. And I, it, it is almost a miracle that that movie gets away with it. Yeah. Because it it's so precise, it, it it's almost Coen Brothers esque mm-hmm. in, in its very precise tone, and I can see where you're watching this movie. If you think it is a, a completely above board, straight thriller slash drama kind of movie, that much of that would be lost on you, and you might think that some of the events of especially the third act um, are a little out there. Yeah, but if you're kind of on board with it. The, the the one scene, without spoiling it too much, the scene where he goes into the diner oh, looking, yeah. looking for, uh, is it Anna, I think is her name? Uh, yeah. the, the daughter, the, the Peterson daughter, and realizes she's not there. And his decision to cover his tracks in that scenario <laughs> is, at the same time, one of the funniest things I've seen in a while mm-hmm. because of his delivery. Yeah. And and also just horrifying because of yeah. the carnage he is wreaking. But it's yeah, it's a really fantastic movie. Uh, I, I, Adam Wingard and and Simon Barrett I think are uh, really doing some some pretty terrific work right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very curious. In fact, you know when you mentioned to me that they were uh, on board for the I saw the Devil remake. Yep. I immediately I I realized like oh well that's that's just a good idea. Yes, yeah, I mean that's uh, that to me just seemed like because it got posted like about four months ago, um, which was about the same time I'd just seen the guest at the cinema because it got a full cinematic run over here. I don't know why it didn't have anything like that in the states. That just blows my mind. It's an American movie. Why is it getting a full cinematic run in the UK? Well, be, not... it's a little different, Duncan, and that's not the kind of movies we like anymore. Apparently, yeah, <laughs> we love them over here, and. Um, I think um, I saw that, and then it was like a couple of days later it was posted that their names had been linked to the I Saw the Devil remake, which I'd, I'd been waiting for a while. I knew there would be, on some level, people would be wanting to remake that movie, because um, I, I love that movie. I think it's phenomenal. And then there was a lot of backlash about it, and I was like, well, right, uh, to me, the guys have pr- proven, and you're next, that they can do like a really, they can do like taut suspense and a bit of horror, you know, really well. Kind of, kind of a taut suspenseful sort of story, really, really well. And the guests have shown me they can do action. Um, yeah. And once again, you know that they, they, I mean, some of the cinematography in that movie is phenomenal. I yeah. love the fact that they, they, you know, we, we, I love the fact that it's set on Halloween, and I love the fact that when they go, when they go to the dance. There's the silver shamrock masks on display in the dance hall, and that to me just makes me smile. I'm like that. These guys are rent, they're referencing things and putting them right on the screen. That they're basically they're they're hearts on their sleeve. 
You, know, yeah. you can see where they're coming from completely. And that's why when that was announced, I was like, yeah, as long as they do their version of that movie, I'm down with it 100%. I don't see why people wouldn't be interested because right now I think that combination are putting out interesting stuff that's a bit different. It's It feels... It feels good to see things that are influenced by the the movies I grew up with in the eighties, without being without completely plagiarizing them, or you know trying to. Well, this is a slasher movie, so we need to have a killer running around. They don't have anything like that. They just splice in bits and bobs. The soundtrack to the guest is phenomenal. Oh my goodness! And, and again, to repeat myself, the fact that they include "Haunted" when the minutes drag by "Love and Rockets" is yeah. that that automatically made it like a one star higher in my review scale because <laughs> i i fucking love that song and you only, i've only ever heard it in two movies and the guest is one of them yeah yeah it's that's good it's really good <laughs> anyway so enough uh sucking off the guest <laughs> which is a mexican a movie, telenovel. A movie. yeah it's a movie <laughs> i was gonna say it was a, a, a mexican soap opera uh <laughs> I'm not sure what the the Spanish translation of that would be, though. So, uh, one of our listeners, write in. Tell us what the Spanish translation of Sucking Off the Guest is. Um, <laughs> yeah. I Oh, and, and okay. One, one last thing about that movie, though. When you mention, yeah, they're kind of making nods not only to other movies that they clearly love, but to your next in particular. There were mm-hmm. a couple of references to that movie that would have pissed me off royally had mm-hmm. the movie not been very good. <laughs> You know, like like if you're just co-opting, like, hey, you guys, we here's you know the mask from your next, and look, your next is written on the wall over here, and it's not super obvious or anything. They're not uh, they're not forcing you to acknowledge that movie, mm-hmm. but it would have bothered me if the guest had been kind of a shitty film, <laughs> which yeah, yeah. which is weird. <laughs> but like they get away with it, and I kind of even like it because it's such a good movie, but. Um, yeah, in a different, in the Ouija experiment, had they done that, uh, referenced the, the previous film by the filmmakers, I would have been really pissed off about it. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get to it, Duncan. We got, we got a real shootout at the old DBCC Corral today. (laughs) Yeah, we do. I I love Western puns. Holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In fairness, yours has a lot more than I have, so your movie. (laughs) I I don't know, because it starts off... All right, well, let's... We're about to talk about this, so let's shut the fuck up and let's do it. Um, When we come back, Duncan will be presenting uh, his film, which is a a little movie called The Proposition, starring Guy Pearce, as a a scruffy-looking outlaw. Yeah. And and Whisper Thin. He really could have used a sandwich in this movie. (laughs) But we'll get to that uh, right after this. Part two. That's Dragon, not Dragon. Ah, welcome back. So up first in our uh, double bill of westerns, um, I chose for Bo uh, a movie from 2005. It's called The Proposition, and it was directed by John Hillcott, he of The Road and Lawless fame. Um, The movie, as Bo said, stars um, very thin Guy Pearce, also has a powerhouse of gangster status in the UK, Mr. Ray Winston. Um, Also stars Danny Houston, who I couldn't remember. I've seen this movie before, obviously, because I suggested it, but I couldn't remember him at all until I watched his backing. I was like, oh, there's Danny Houston. 
which I don't know why. I, 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 not to say that he's rules forgettable at all. I really enjoy him in this movie. Has some other people in it, but the synopsis is a lawman apprehends a notorious outlaw and gives him nine days to kill his older brother or else they will execute his younger brother. Um, now, first thing I want to say before I turn over to Bo is that one of the things that made this movie stand out to me straight away when it came out in 2006 in my country, um, because this is an Australian movie, um, is the fact that Nick Cave actually did the screenplay. Mm -hmm. So Nick Cave, he of the Bad Seeds fame, um, who is a man that I have immense respect for, not only because I, I like quite a lot of his music, but I like a lot of his novels as well. So, um, Bo, I suggested this to you. Um, there should be no surprise here that of the two movie choices... Mings is the darker one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. At least yeah. I mean superficially it is the darker one. Yeah. Uh we'll we'll, yeah. we'll argue that point later, but um yeah. what did you think of the proposition? I I really enjoyed the proposition uh most of the way. Um Ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh alright, so I, I like the opening and I, I think that the synopsis of the film is a little light in terms of what the movie is really about. Uh, yep. as, as I said up front, both of these movies that we're talking about today are kind of deconstructionist Westerns in a lot of ways. Um, the proposition has the benefit of having existed after something like Unforgiven, um, where that was a more popular version of the Western. Uh, mm -hmm. where where you're talking about anti-heroes and and the gray morality of uh the civilized man in a wild country and the proposition very much is about the the sort of taming of australia and the Austra australian outback by you know british colonialism and uh also the you know the, the sort of white outlaws from Europe, in particular, you know, Guy Pearce and his brothers who are all Austra not Australian, Irish, uh, in mm -hmm. Australia. And, yeah, so, you know, the basic premise is there's this horrible murder, or, or three murders that happen, that are, are the latest in a series of crimes by these brothers. And when uh, Ray Winstone, who uh, is the... Uh, I guess Sergeant is that, that that's how he's referred to in the movie, but yes, sort of the, the local police chief for all intents and purposes, mm -hmm. um, comes across Guy Pierce and the youngest of the brothers, Mikey and arrests Mikey, uh, who apparently had little or nothing to do with the actual crimes. Yeah. But Ray Winstone's theory is if I put, Guy Pierce on this deadline and say, I'm going to hang this kid on Christmas day. If you don't get, go get your brother who is truly the, the villain of this, mm -hmm. then, you know, your, your younger brother is, is strung up. So go kill your older brother. Who's a, a bit of a psycho. And along the way, there are the sort of differing political uh, views of what, the I, I guess the outback should be and mm -hmm. and the movie actually begins with a warning or at least the version i saw which was uh an amazon uh copy of it um it begins with a warning saying hey if you're uh an indigenous person from australia uh there's some shit that people are going to say in this movie that could probably upset you mm -hmm. 
And and sure enough, there is. You know, it it is much like uh, America's own expansion westward and its uh, murder of <laughs> a people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Australia and America are strangely similar in a number of ways, and one of them is that once the white people came, we realized that oh yeah, uh, here's a whole indigenous people that doesn't seem to have concepts of capitalism like we do, mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe we should just take their shit. And so the proposition deals a lot with that. There's uh, Emily Watson plays a great character. She's Ray Winstone's uh, wife in the film and was a friend of, of the woman who was murdered by the Murphy gang. Uh, she was also pregnant at the time, which makes it even worse. And there's a great scene where she sort of joins in this sort of mob mentality mm-hmm. uh, as they're going to whip the youngest brother uh, at the behest of... I guess he he's sort of the regional lord of this area. He's yeah. the one who's appointed Ray Winstone. And decides that the younger brother needs to be flogged in public. And she is all for it up until they get about, eh, I would say, 20 lashes in. And she realized, like, how fucking barbaric all of this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really great moment. It might... I, I like a lot of this movie. The music is fantastic. Nick Cave also did the score. Uh, there's this great recurring theme, these kind of whispering words uh, that are later spoken by John Hurt. And holy crap, John Hurt is great in this movie. Yeah, that is, he's a name that I omitted from the list, but John Hurt, small role, but I, I mean, John Hurt on his... If John Hurt only has two minutes in the movie, you will remember that John Hurt's been in a movie for two minutes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, that's the sort of actor he is. So, yeah, he's phenomenal in this as well. Yeah, he's sort of an overeducated bounty hunter. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least someone who likes people to believe that he's very educated. And, yeah, he's he's fantastic. Um, and, uh, yeah, so th- there are all these great moments throughout the film. And I really, really like it. It's beautifully shot. It is... I will concede at this point right away, this looks way, way better than The Shootist. Mm-hmm. It is a much more cinematic feeling film. It is, it is, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion of the sunsets and things like that. And um, what a beautiful country Australia is. Like half the people in the movie think Australia is gorgeous and the other half think that it's a hellhole. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you be the judge. Uh, so the, the part where... I felt like the movie kind of dragged a bit. Uh, sort of on the back end, I felt like all the pieces were put in place in a really clever way. Mm-hmm. And I felt like in the back half of the movie, there was a little bit of repetition. I like You do get uh, these revelations with the Emily Watson character, and you, you clearly see that Ray Winstone's character is starting to struggle with his decisions, uh, you know, he's trying to defend this proposition that he's made to Guy Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can tell that he's starting to fray at the edges a little bit in terms of, of, of whether or not this was the right thing to do and what his role is in this, in this uh, world that they've been deposited into in Australia. Uh, because he, you know, from early on, he's saying like, I, I want to bring civilization here. I want to civilize this place. And after the flogging, there's a real question of, well, what does that exactly mean? Mm-hmm. You know, how civilized are we really? 
Um, all that stuff I really like. But there are also these conversations that happen with uh, sort of the territorial uh, leader who's, a, who's kind of a dandy uh, when he shows up at Ray Winstone's house. And I, I, I this is a minor complaint because I, I would completely <laughs> recommend this movie and I think it's great. So, you know, at this point, it's like, okay, well, what's wrong with it? What can I find to complain about? And I felt like some of those conversations, particularly with Ray Winstone in this character, as well as uh, with Emily Watson, that um, I felt like I kind of knew already what where these characters were going. I didn't I didn't feel like I needed uh, the uh, the territorial leader character to drop in and sort of reemphasize the points of that were being made by the movie already. Um, I wish there had been a little more with Mikey. To kind of mm -hmm. understand his character a bit more, because every time you see him, he's just huddled in the corner of a cell uh, for the most part, and is just you know just a punching bag for this film. You know, like anything bad that's going to happen is probably going to happen to this kid first. Mm -hmm. um, but the flogging scene's pretty amazing. That's that's a, a a weirdly tough scene to watch, even though you know one of those things where it's like ah, I know this is a movie and this is all fake, but. Boy, this this kid is really going after it. Uh, yeah, Richard Wilson is the actor's name, the 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 kid who plays Mikey, and his screams when he's being flogged. Holy crap! Mm. Very effective. Yeah. So I, my biggest complaint with the movie is that I think it loses a little bit of focus and meanders a little bit in uh, in the second half. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the biggest complaint I have with it. Um, I think thematically it's really interesting. Um, I've, I've seen a couple of other films. I, I think uh, Rabbit Proof Fence is a good example of this. Uh, uh, films about Australia and the British involvement in Australia. Yeah. That, you know, it, because of British colonialism, and I'm not pointing any fingers, Duncan. <laughs> we because, were colonized as well, boys. So. Yeah, right, but... Yeah, <laughs> English, still... English. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, but you know, America has done its share of weird shit when it comes to this. Oh yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I find movies about that to be pretty engaging and intriguing because there is something about, you know, the, the fundamental misunderstanding of a native people mm -hmm. by, by its invaders, uh, that I find kind of interesting. And, um, and this movie, you know, tackles that as well. In, in fact, maybe my biggest complaint with the movie is that it tries to do almost too much mm -hmm. um, throughout the movie uh, in the process of telling this story that is at heart, a, you know, a, a very simple kind of story about frontier justice and what that means and, and what is justice really. And I think when you come to the end of the movie, uh, no spoilers here because you, you should watch it, but the final scene in which, you know, all the principal characters sort of meet up uh, in a pretty, pretty terrible way uh, during the Christmas Day um, celebration. Mm. Uh, it's, it's really compelling. I'm, I, I was really on the, on the side of uh, Ray Winstone, strangely. Like, mm -hmm. that's a character that starts off kind of despicable, but as the movie goes on, you start to understand that he's, he really is trying to do the right thing mm -hmm. as he sees it. And, and, and the way that the right thing is kind of done is maybe the only way it could have been. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it, it's, I'm trying to talk around it a little bit, but, um, it's really good. You know, like the whole movie, 
I, I think is it, it's beautifully shot. It's well acted. It's thematically rich. You know, my minor complaints with it are are just that, and and it's a great western. It's a great modern western. You know, like I said, it kind of comes on the heels of things like Unforgiven, where the the antihero uh, and the moral complexity of what the old west was is. Uh, a much more realistic portrayal, or at least a more complicated portrayal. Yeah, and and that's that's really fun to watch in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I I personally, um, I don't get the I, when I'm watching, I don't feel that necessarily there's there's any sort of dragon issue in the that's dragging and not drag on. <laughs> like, what the fuck? There's a dragon here, right? Um, yeah, there is a dragon in the in the second <laughs> half, which is surprising, but welcome. <laughs> When Guy Pierce tries to go steal his gold, it's voiced by Sean Connery. Um, but <laughs> if but, this movie ended with him riding a dragon, this would you would have won. You would have won, and right, still so, might. But that would have that would have nailed. So um, to me, the, the the things that I quite like about this movie is very much that there is no good character in this movie at all. Every single character in here. With, I would even, no, in fact, every single character in this movie is is not only flawed, but on some level evil, depending on the stance that you take. Um, I think when you look at Ray Winston, you're right in saying that when we first meet him, he's a horrible character, um, until we start to delve a bit more into basically the story. I think the fact that he, he sends... Um, Guy Pierce off to the scene of the crime that his brother, his older brother, has committed. I think from that point onwards, the end is pretty mu- pretty much academic. You see the repulsion in his face when he opens the, the the charred shell of a house to find that the only room that hasn't been affected by the fire is is basically a nursery. Um, I think I think the, you know it's very it's very clear how the film is going to unfold. And yeah, uh, may- maybe on some level. From that point onwards, you could maybe accuse it as as kind of lagging to to get to that resolution. Um, I don't necessarily think it, it it has that pace and issue though. I think the movie's only an hour and a half long, and I think what what it does is um, it kind of sets up. We get maybe the biggest crime of the movie is we never fully fully realize any area we're in. You know, we're, we're we're always on the move on some level. Even when a character's uh, Guy Pierce gets injured at one point, when he when he finally comes across his brother. And by the way, I know we we are on this show firm advocators of pointing out the best head explosions ever. Um, I had forgotten completely. This movie has one that's right up there. It's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where basically Guy Pierce is um is standing, and all of a sudden a spear is launched from great visual effect goes right through him and when it hits him the weight of it pulls him backwards and he starts sliding down the spear and he's looking up and there's aboriginal warriors on the on on the rocks ahead of him and one of them is shouting and it looks like they're about to do something that may kill him um, and then his head just explodes at the side like completely just explodes like a watermelon being having a stone dropped on it from a large height it just explodes it's pulpy and it's horrible and um I mean, we go from there, we, we go to the camp. I think you're right, and t- the, the whipping scene is very uncomfortable to watch, and I think that the, the genius of the scene is we see it from the other end for the majority of it. So we see the facial expression of Mikey, as opposed to actually seeing him 
being whipped. We see the action of the guy's arm going back, but we don't see it connect until several hits later on. It's juxtaposed with um, one of uh, Guy Pearce's brother's crew, or family as he likes to call them, singing a kind of like an Irish folk song over the top of it, which is incredibly haunting. And when those two scenes are juxtaposed together, the it's it is it somehow makes the scene more sinister. Um, the the fact that at one point the, the 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 you know the lash is being pulled back and the guy actually has to wring his arm down them to remove the blood, which is now pulling. Um, and you think, oh my god, this is over. And then you hear them count the number thirty, and you're like, oh my god, he's getting a hundred of these. <laughs> yeah, we're only at thirty. And it's it's just it's horrific, and the fact that the Tim's people that have all literally five minutes ago in the film been crying out for this guy's blood all start to walk away because they're and it's not that they they are not as repulsed as um, Ray Winston's partner, um, his wife in the movie. They're not as repulsed. Um, they just lose interest. You know, there's none of them kind of wincing when it's happening. She faints, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like the impact of that as well. I love Danny Houston in this movie. Very, very small part as the brother, but he is... The thing about him is when you see his setup, you find that his he lives basically in a cave, which the Aboriginals have started to refer to him as turning into a beast. He's turning into a dog um, in the way they describe him. But you go in there and there's literature basically wallpapered across the walls everywhere. And he's learned uh, we find that he's learned because in an uh, altercation with John Hurt's character, he finishes off a famous quote from a book and he tells them who said it as well and um, and obviously remarks it back to their situation. So he's a very intelligent character. He is evil, though. He is evil incarnate in this movie. He is the, he is the black heart of this movie. And we only really see the fact he's the black heart through maybe about five minutes of the overall movie. His actions that we get to see in terms of visually get to see in the movie are five minutes long in mm-hmm. total and it sells the performance for me I think he's really good in this movie Guy Pearce is phenomenal in this movie I, I, every now and again I see a movie and I think when Guy Pearce is in it I think Guy Pearce is an excellent actor why don't I see him in more things and then I kind of forget about him and then he comes back with another role and I'm like Guy Pearce is a phenomenal actor why is he not in more things I mean you look at movies like Memento um, you look at Ravenous. movies like this Ravenous, oh my god, Ravenous I love that movie so much um, and I just, I, you know it, it kind of reminds me why he's a great actor, the irony of the situation is he's playing, he is Australian the movie's shot in Australia and he's playing an Irishman, uh, which is a bit weird um, the fact that the John Hurt speeches in this movie where he's specifically talking about the, um, the theory of evolution Um and those things and how they relate back to the British sensibility of what the Aboriginals were, um, which, like you say, likened, you can link that back to how Americans viewed Native Americans um, or Native Indians. Uh, I mean, it links in that way. The score is phenomenal. The way it shot's phenomenal. It's gory without being overpowering. Yeah, yeah, we don't get too much of Mikey, but from from what we are told of Mikey's character, he's, he's pretty simple. He's simple-minded. And then I'm thinking, how much of that character do I really want to... I mean, how much do they have to nail 
the the idea that he's the helpless brother into us before we realise he's the helpless brother through all these actions from Cowron. I've got that. I don't. I don't need any dialogue with him explaining things that to to make me feel more sorry for him. Um, so I'm I'm all right with that. I, I, you know, it's not something that I'm like. I, I really wish to th- made a more three dimensional character. He is very two dimensional, but he is the he's the sole he's the 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 only thing that Guy Pierce as a character cares about. He's, he's the only thing he cares about because he's his older brother and he's going to look out for him. And yeah, Ray Winston plays that card in that he knows he if he sends twelve of his men into the into the outback to try and hunt down Danny Houston, Danny Houston's going to kill them all. In fact, mm-hmm. most of them won't go near it. So he knows that basically to catch a killer, he needs to send a killer. Which um, I mean, it's, it's a very simplistic presence. We, we you know, uh, our idea. We get that in a lot of cinema. I think that really works. I think that, like Guy Pierce, like I say, I never think at any point that he's having a quandary about his decision. I think that decision is made up early on in the movie, um, and maybe that's why you're saying that you think the second half, all the pieces are in place. Why have we not? Why why have we not moved quicker to the point or? Why is there something not else happening somewhere else to to really justify the overall length? But like I say, I don't. This is the second time I've saw the movie. It flew in for me again. I didn't. I didn't find it, it dragging. It's it's fairly nihilistic as a movie. There's, oh, um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, but it, it, it seems to suggest that everyone is kind of a piece of shit at heart. Yeah. I, I, but that that in, is inherently Nick Cave. That's. I think Nick Cave genuinely thinks that. Humanity should be wiped from the planet. <laughs> I think he, you know he's two steps away from uh, from from working with um, with Skynet. <laughs> yeah. you know, I think he's the man that develops it. So I mean, there's you know that nihilistic presence. Uh, there's something about the movie it just resonates with me, and um, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah I think, <laughs> you know, with, with the the Mikey character, I think what I really wanted is. I, I sort of wanted a moment between him and Ray Winstone that, yeah, you know that that said something about the way this territorial sergeant mm-hmm. viewed his decision, you know. Um, and, and it could have happened. It could have happened when he was, you know, when he dismissed before the flog and the night before the flog, and he dismisses yeah. his soldiers, and then you hear Mikey in the background, you know, sergeant, sergeant, wanting to speak to him, and they could have given you that. And I see where you're going from. To me, that's that's logically what you would do. Yeah, I I I, I don't mind the fact that the the don't do it if you know what I mean. I, I would certainly go as far as to explain. Why he is so vehemently? I mean, Ray Winston. I, I mean, all the characters in this movie are set pieces from from what we would expect from a typical Western movie. So our our sergeant is the sheriff. Um, the dandy sort of guy is basically our mayor. He's the town mayor. Um, our, our our you know our outback outlaws are basically the criminal element, and it's all set up that way. You know, it's, it's very much. I mean, the fact that they go as far as to have. The sergeant's garden is set like a, almost like a prairie house. That's how it looks. I mean, they're they're kind of putting these very these kind of tent poles of American westerns directly into the ground um, to to make you understand that this is a western themed movie, but set in Australia. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can I can, to- I can totally see. And to be honest, if they'd given me that in the movie. Um, with with that conversation, I wouldn't dislike it any less. Uh, any any time that you get a, a chance for Ray Winston to stretch out of the the hard man persona, which he is very easily typecast into, 
Um, it's fantastic. And there's a sequence where his wife is telling him a story. She's in the bath and she's telling him a story of a dream that she has. And the man is standing in the background, you know, not saying anything but the tears that are that are coming down his face. And you don't see that a lot in a Ray Winston performance. Um, I think sometimes he's overlooked as a... He is a very good actor as well. Um, and that, you know, that, that, that adds more to the, the character as well. So... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really really good. Don't get me wrong. My my like I said, my complaints with it are are fairly minor. And I, as someone who enjoys a good western, mm-hmm. uh, which there are surprisingly few of in my estimation, but uh, this was a movie that, uh, like, as, as soon as I wrapped it up, I was like, I'm I'm not only am I glad I saw it, I'm glad that it's now in my collection because. It, it's one I will return to for sure. You said um, you'd had on you. It's been on a queue for you to watch for a while. Yeah, yeah, and I'd heard it was good, and I don't know what my reluctance to watch it was, other than maybe, maybe initially it was the 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 basic setup, which felt a little rote, maybe. Mm-hmm. But the execution of it uh, is is really, really just fantastic. Like John Hillcoat as a director. It, it goes off, off it does, yeah. yeah. It, after this movie, does the road. So I mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> and they're he's, not. He's... They're not thematically that different. Different? No, they're very idealistic. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's it's wonderful. Uh, and and like you said, the the gore when it happens in this movie is, uh, it it like it's well placed. It, it's one of those movies that doesn't shy away from the violence, but it doesn't wallow in it either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Really, really good. So you did. I mean, you made this <laughs> way tougher than I would have liked. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's move on to movie two. Let's let's that, let's say yeah, uh, that's uh, yeah. I feel I feel that we're already drawing our lines here already. <laughs> let's. We're only in movie one. Let's bring in the Duke. Uh, and my, my pick for Duncan, which is the, the final film in John Wayne's career, uh, a movie called The Shootist. So we'll be, uh, we'll be right back. Part three, the epitome of John Wayne. Uh, hey, welcome back everyone. So my, uh, pick for Duncan this week is, uh, a movie that I am surprised I like. Uh, because I'm not necessarily a John Wayne fan. Uh, I don't think John Wayne is a very good actor. I think he is a screen personality. Uh, more than an actor in most films. Uh, but I think he either rises above that or personifies it in such a way that makes it okay. In the 1976 film, The Shootist. Uh, as I mentioned, this is the last of John Wayne's career. He filmed this while he was dying of cancer, uh, had already, in fact, was down a lung when he did this movie. Was working on one lung. So, how, how's that, Duncan? Guy Pierce, <laughs> Guy Pierce had both lungs. Um, anyway. Yeah, he didn't need a sandwich, though, Bobby. He was a bit skinny. He was a malnutrition. John Wayne didn't look like he'd missed a meal. Come on. No, no. He certainly <laughs> does not. Um, the, the brief synopsis of this is, uh, a dying gunfighter, spends his last days looking for a way to die with a minimum of pain and a maximum of dignity. Um, I also feel this is a movie that, in a weird way, precedes the re-examination of the West by a few years that were done in later films. 
And it's directed by Don Siegel, who uh, also did Dirty Harry. Um, but without further ado, I, I cannot tell you how curious I am to hear, Duncan, what you thought of The Shootist. Right, well, uh, right up, up front, um, I posted earlier on in the Legion podcast page, where you can hear our show, and you should come across it on Facebook. Um, but when I when I, I took to that today, um, I put up the comment that I was hoping that you were bringing more than sentiment um, to this, because the, the day before, yesterday, I had sat down and watched uh, My Choice, and once again was was feeling fairly smug. I was like, yep, this is a, this is a good, dark, nasty, yeah, this is, this is, this is good, right? Uh, and then obviously we'd conversed over email. Yeah. And, and I, made... I told you I got misty yeah. watching the shootist, which I did. Yeah. And we know, we know from previous episodes, Bo, that I am worse than a million Hitlers. <laughs> uh, yes. I, 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 I don't, I don't cry. It's just something that doesn't happen. Um, so I, I was kind of thinking, I knew that uh, I have heard of this movie, I'm aware of this movie, I had never seen it until today. I'm very much aware that this is John Wayne's final movie, and I was also aware that very similar to the World's Greatest Dad episode that we did, that there is a, a striking poignancy to what happens in that film, to what happens in real life, i.e. that John Wayne's character in this movie is dying of cancer. John Wayne died of cancer. Um, I was not aware that he had been suffering with cancer during the shooting, so that is, you know, that is news to me, and I didn't know he was in there long either. So yeah, I sat down to watch this movie, and it's enjoyable. I, I'm going to just put that out there. It is going to seem that I'm going to punch on this movie a little bit potentially unfairly um i will say that at the end of this movie i did enjoy it i i laughed at this movie i think there's some moments that are have such great comic timing that i don't always necessarily associate that with westerns my biggest gripe of this movie and unfortunately it's the it's the thing that you said right at the beginning i'm not a big john wayne fan at all and i get the feeling that this movie leans too heavy on John Wayne. It's like, let's give a character a line to say so John Wayne can do a one-liner. Let's let's set up a scenario so John Wayne can... And I, I understand that John Wayne is the epitome of the Wild West in cinema. That That is what he did. And he probably did it better than anyone in terms of having an iconic persona on, on screen. I don't necessarily think he's a great... I don't think he can emote... I, I, I think he, and that's that's why he's a man's man, and that's why people aspire to be like John Wayne, and you know uh, all that sort of thing. He he takes everything in this movie pretty much in his stride, and that kind of niggles at me a little bit. There's no, I mean, when, when he's delivered the, the the answer about you know the, the fact that he has cancer from the doctor, he, he's starting to he's starting to weigh down on how long he has left. I just feel that his performance in that is no different than it is when he is asking the guy to take his horse to the barn or, you know, speaking to the house lady and asking her if she wants to go out for a, for a trip round town. It's the same. It is a very monotone performance. And what, if anything, should be, you know, an iconic performance because of the gravity of the situation he had. Um, and I, I, every time... He's on screen and he's doing like, I, I, you can see it coming. A character comes in. This could be quite an interesting character. Oh no, you're here just to serve lines for John Wayne. Um, and he does some, I'll give you one thing. The way he delivers these lines in this movie 
are fantastic and they're they're great one-liners and great put-downs and there's specific ways that he says things that I'm like, that's a great line. Wait till someone says something to me at work and I'm just going <laughs> to drop that line. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. Drop that, <laughs> drop that line and, and stroll with a slight limp all the way to that kitchen and get my coffee. Because um, it is, it's a very macho performance. He is a very, even even with with being faced with death, John Wayne in this movie is the epitome of John Wayne. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's like a caricature which is spiraled out of control. And I don't know what it was like in real life. Maybe that's what it was like in real life. I don't know this. The thing that I like about this movie is the resolution to this movie. I think, very similar to what you said about the previous movie, I know pretty much when he walks into town how this movie's finishing. I love the beginning of this movie where we, we get his backstory, and the backstory we get are, are clips of the black and white movies. Mm-hmm. And then we move into colour cinema, and this is present day for for when the movie is shot, which, you know, is... I mean, as in when the movie is scripted, not as in, like, he's not walking around in the 70s. Um, you know, as in the <laughs> right. Wild West. Yeah, yeah, and all the rest. You know, I, I like that. I like the myth of the character. I like the fact that we have a, a young Ron Howard in this movie um, who is obsessed with with these guys, these, these gunslingers from the Wild West, and knows them all, and knows all the stats and all the rest. You know, I, I love, I love the, the, I love that aspect of the character as well, and the, the kind of, the, the kind of, the levels of morality that, that come in towards the end with, with his decision not to, and I, I'm, I'm happy to spoil this movie because it's an old one, um, you know, his, his decision, he's fascinated, he's a good gunslinger himself, but when he sees what is basically done, throws the gun away and chooses a life which is not gunslinging. I like that. I, I like that. I like the fact that John Wayne decides that he's going out on his own terms and thus picks the three hardened gunslingers of the town and arranges to meet them in a bar for a final showdown. And the way that... I, I love the fact that also he bests them all, but ultimately the shots that kill him come from a cowardly bartender yeah. who is just doing it at the end just to, you know, he's, he's injured now, he's, he's opportunistic, he's wanting to try and capitalise, and you know he's going to sell that because everyone else is selling everything about this guy, they're selling his hair, you know, the, the horse, you know, the works, they're going all down this, this road. Ultimately, my biggest gripe with the movie is John Wayne. And it's, it's not because I don't get the gravity of the situation or the poignancy. To me, this movie... Is kind of the same way as when Johnny Cash does the Nine Inch Nails cover of Hurt. Um, and he did that song and then he died not long after it. And the lyrics are very poignant to his life. And when they put the, in the music video, they put the pictures of his life as they go through, you know, interspaced with the, the fact that he was still alive when he recorded the music video, but he died shortly after. That then takes a whole different meaning because posthumously, it becomes more poignant. And obviously, posthumously, this movie, beca- I can see why this movie becomes more poignant. I have seen other John Wayne movies that I prefer over this. I just, I, it's just, I don't like the, I understand it's John Wayne. You look at the front cover, it says John Wayne in the shooter, so we need some John Wayne. Um, I just don't think, like there's some other interesting characters in here were good character actors that appear and I'm like, oh yeah, we've got Scatman Carruthers here. This is, this could be really interesting because he's not talking about The Shining in this movie. This is going to be awesome. And then we get uh, just the smallest, 
completely insignificant role in here, which is basically served up for John Wayne to do what John Wayne does. And that kind of irks me a, a little bit. So whilst I enjoyed the movie, and I think, yeah, as John Wayne movies go, this one is one that if, you know, if someone asked me, you know, to suggest some John Wayne movies, these will definitely, this will be one that will come out of my mouth. I don't necessarily think it's a great Western. <laughs> um, it's enjoyable, but it's, I, yeah. I I I I know that you're going to now school me as to why I'm wrong, but um, I just I feel on a lot of levels that John Wayne's clearly playing into the fact that he's playing it in this character because he's living the character, um, and I, I get that uh, the John Wayne suit that he wears in this movie annoys me, um, not the actual clothes, the actual John Wayne suit that he's wearing, you know, him in yeah. this movie is just too cliche, John Wayne. And that's me talking from... I mean, he died before I was born. So I, it's easy for me to say that it's a cliche and all the rest because that's what my generation does. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's an enjoyable movie. I, I, I don't think it's the, the movie that should be picked at the end of this episode. Though. I, am, I really want to hear why you think the other way. Duncan, you ignorant slut. Um... <laughs> That's my new ringtone. <laughs> See if you just finished that by saying answer the phone. That would have been me. I would yeah. have been in heaven. <laughs> uh, all right. I think your argument is totally viable in terms of, of John Wayne's performance. You know, I'll be the first to admit, as I did you know, earlier, he's not he did, yeah. a great actor. Here's what I, I, I love about the shooters, though. And, you know, if... If his performance is so crippling to you, I don't know that the argument I'm going to make is going to convince you otherwise. But uh, I think that thematically what this movie does that's really interesting is it takes the icon that is John Wayne, you know, the, the images that you see at the beginning of the movie from when he was a young man and the black and white westerns he did then. And this movie was released in 1976. Mm-hmm. which was sort of the end of the American Western, you know, uh, throughout the seventies, you know, this is a movie that was shot post Godfather, you know, uh, the American cinema landscape had changed. Westerns were completely out of fashion. Uh, John Wayne was not that popular an actor at the time. This movie, I mean, he was still John Wayne. He was still iconic, but it wasn't like in the, you know, 50s and 60s when he was a megastar. Uh, he was coming to the end of his life in much the same way that the American Western was was coming to the end of its life, at least at the time, and, and has never truly recovered. Uh, there are a few Westerns that pop up here and there, but not like when uh, John Wayne was sort of in his prime and every movie that came out was, you know, Fort Apache or Red River, or yada, yada. Um, you know, so to do this film, knowing that he was dying, he assembles friends, essentially, you know, Jimmy Stewart, who I love, um, and I think is great in this movie. I think, I think his, his bit about if him not being a brave man, but if he were that the death he describes when he's, he's talking about, you know, prostate cancer killing, Mm -hmm. uh, the character of, you know, JB books. Um, which is a pretty thin, like this is John Wayne people. Um, let's let's yeah. not let's not bullshit each other. 
But when he's describing this death and saying, you know, I'm not a brave man, but if I were, that's not the way I would choose to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a really nice moment. Um, you know, he was big friends with Humphrey Bogart, so Humphrey Bogart's wife, Lauren, wife, Lauren Bacall, plays uh, in this film as well. And their character actors like Hugh O'Brien and Harry Morgan and uh, you know, a number of people who, who sort of grew up in cinema playing this kind of part. So in a lot of ways, this movie is representative of an entire genre of film, and it, it's death knell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's one thing I like about it. I like what it represents. Um, I also like the character of J.B. Books. I think that is a, despite performance from a, a strictly writing point of view, uh, I think it's a really good character. You know, much like the film itself, he is a character out of time. Uh, the movie takes place in 1901 when the Old West is really pretty much tamed, you know. There are uh, certainly gunfighters about, but there are less and less of them. You start to see horseless carriages, as they call it, um, mm-hmm. popping up in the streets. And, and there is, uh, you know, a, a lot of talk about, again, when when he dies, as you pointed out, you know, John Carradine, who is wonderfully creepy, and this is <laughs> the, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the mortician who shows up to uh, offer a free funeral. And JB Books is smart enough to know, well, you're, you're offering this to me so you can put me on display because, mm-hmm. you know, he is famous. He is a commodity. Um, you know, and there, and there is that recurring theme throughout, uh, the film, uh, as, as you mentioned, which is him recognizing that because of his name, things have a little more value. Um, whether it's, you know, the horse and, and that Ron Howard tries to sell and all that stuff. Um, so I think all that is really interesting. You couple that with some terrific lines like, you know, there are two ways you can leave this establishment immediately or dead. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that's what I'm saying. The dialogue's awesome in this movie. I, I mean, I love the dialogue in this movie. And, you know, that's, that's, and the, the people that deliver the dialogue are so commanding and it is well placed and well timed. And I do laugh at things like that. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that's, I, I think that's probably the movie's strongest suit, I think, and it plays it very well. It doesn't overplay it. Um, it does technically with John Wayne, because he pretty much speaks the whole movie in that, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, that, that, see when you posted that on the page, and it came up, and I was, even without the reference of what I was from when you posted that earlier on Facebook, and I was like that, I was like, I really want to see, I, was like, I just hope it's someone getting chucked at a bar or something, and that's the line they use. And then it came up, and I was overjoyed. I was applauding it. Yeah, yeah. And and the movie opens with some some poor schlub trying to rob JB Books <laughs> and gets <laughs> shot in the stomach for his trouble. And the guy's like, "You've killed me." He's like, "I haven't, but you're probably going to need to see a doctor, and you kind of yeah. suck at being a criminal, so yeah. knock it off." <laughs> Um, even make some, even make some pick up his wallet and hand it. <laughs> right, because that is as badass as you can be. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and there, there is very much that sense of, you know, this character being the man's man. But but at the end of the film, when he's arranged this death for himself, and I, I really, I, let me one step back before we talk about the end of this movie, but. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a great moment, I think, that I really do think is a, a good line delivery from John Wayne when 
I, he's talking to Lauren Bacall. It's when they're having breakfast, when all the other tenants have left her boarding house because people keep trying to break in and kill him. And yes. <laughs> so he has to shoot them, of course, which makes all the decent uh, God-fearing folk of the boarding house decide that maybe this isn't the home for them. Um, and he's he's eating breakfast with Lauren Bacall, and they're trying to have a conversation because they're constantly at odds because she's this you know, uh, good Christian woman with a, a murderer in, under her roof who has come there to die. You know, he's making no bones about it. I'm, you know, uh, he's there to drink some laudanum until the laudanum doesn't work anymore. And then he's going to die. And, uh, she's accusing him of being a killer mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, playing God and being a judge and jury. And, and John Wayne says, uh, I, I'm just an old man who's scared of the dark. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an incredibly poignant line, not not just because of who uh, John Wayne was and what was going on with him personally at the time. I just think it's a great moment for that character to to sort of admit, you know, all of this wisdom that he's been parsing out at the end of the day. You know, he's facing mortality and it terrifies him. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get to the end of the movie and there's been this, this sort of, uh, you know, a storyline running through of Ron Howard maybe wanting to be a gunslinger like J.B. Books. And at the end of the film, the last thing that John Wayne's character does is kind of give a smile when he sees Ron Howard throw the gun away mm-hmm. and, and sort of reject that notion that this is this is manhood, this is what it means to be, you know, uh, a free or, or whatever, whatever the Old West kind of represented. Um, and that maybe being more civilized, unlike something like the proposition where civilization is kind of raked over the coals. Uh, I think this is a movie that says that yes, we can be more civilized and, and, and probably part of that is letting the vestiges of the uncivilized West die. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in addition to it not having, uh, an actor that necessarily has a great deal of range, I do think it has a, a great deal of, of thematic uh, interest for me. Um, I do think of, like most of the supporting performances are fantastic. I think Lauren Bacall is really good in it. I think Jimmy Stewart's mm-hmm. really good in it. I think Ron Howard is surprisingly good in it. Uh, and it's kind of weird to see, you know, little Richie Cunningham. It, and you forget, like, oh, yeah, he was an actor. And, like, yeah. against John Wayne? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. It but, doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I but I like all that stuff. And, you know, like I said, I don't think I can talk you out of liking John Wayne as an actor because I don't really like John Wayne as an actor that much myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this is an interesting, not just interesting, I think it's a really great commentary on a style of film as well as a particular actor at a time when people seem to have moved on. Uh, mm-hmm. from both the actor and that style of film. And I think this movie is very much a comment on how people seem to have no use for either him or Westerns anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think, you know, it's a good case for, you know what, maybe Westerns are okay after all. Uh, because he says and does some awesome things in this movie. I don't want to, yeah. under, I don't want to undersell the fact that this movie, I think, is a tremendous amount of fun. Um, oh yeah, it's, I mean that's what I'm saying. That on an enjoyment level, this movie I enjoyed pretty much from start to finish. 
Um, I, I enjoy all the, the, the things that, that, that probably turn people off westerns. You know, the fact that he does at one point put a gun in a reporter's mouth, make him stand outside, make him bend over so he can boot him in the backside <laughs> and launch him <laughs> off the porch. I mean, it's so ridiculous and yeah. so over the top. It's so very John Wayne that, you know, it is the antithesis of what people, like you were saying, were moving away from. And the kind of, the kind of, if this is the last hoo-ha, you know, or hurrah of, um, of of the Western cinema, or that style of Western cinema. I think they do it justice. I do think it's entertaining. Um, I, I just think all those, that massive list of, of great cast in there, and I, I feel that a lot of them are reduced to just really setting up a, a line where I'm like, I understand that John Wayne's in your movie and that's your focal point, but give the, you know, make these characters feel a bit more than, you know, than than setting up the line. And they, they, some of them, unfortunately, feel that way uh, to me, which is one that's probably one of the biggest gripes that I can't get over with the movie is that I'm like that. So much talent here is kind of almost going to waste because um, any of these characters g- generally in other movies would have slightly bigger parts, but it kind of feels like they're being dwarfed um, me, by, by this character. So, yeah. Let me ask you uh, a kind of a weird question. Uh-huh. If... You would you like this movie more? Do you think if it were remade today with a more emotive actor in the lead, but with essentially the same script? Yes. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Okay. Definitely. I think. I think. I think that's that. My biggest gripe is that I feel that. John Wayne is almost, and like I say, I don't know what he was like personally. I don't know. He could have very well been the guy that we saw on screen. Um, you know, like, just like a man's man. Don't show emotion. Don't give anything away. Hold your cards to your chest sort of guy. And I, I totally get that. And, you know, I just feel that for, for the poignancy of what is happening, not only in his real life, but what's happening on screen, when, when, when things are delivered to him, he is so deadpan for 90% of this movie and the way he delivers things that I just, I struggle to get into it. You know, I, I struggle to, to break down this, this idea of mortality, which, you know, we all face and John Wayne's facing it as John Wayne. And I'm like, that's not how people face mortality. No one faces, even priests who, who pretty, pretty much have a faith, which is unrigid that they're going somewhere have those moments of doubt and those Don't you moments of doubt dare bring up the movie cavalry right now <laughs> <laughs> oh man why did we not do a show on that but i just don't and out with that one line that you're saying i don't think we get a glimpse of that at all in his performance and when he's your main character he's the character you're following through we're following his last days it, it kind of detracts me from I, I can't I can't relate to this character I can't latch on to this character I enjoy what he's doing on the screen yeah but I just can't get over that and if it was remade then yeah I think I think there's a reason that when I saw the True Grit remake after having seen the original True Grit movie the reason that I quite liked um, the the portrayal done by Jeff Bridges is because Jeff Bridges doesn't try and change it. He just plays Rooster Cogburn as Rooster Cogburn. Um, and I like that. I think if this movie was getting remade, I wouldn't want the performance to be the same. I would want it to be more emotive. So, yeah, I think I think, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head as to why I can't really get my... I can't commit to this movie. Yeah, and, but 
but at the same time, I think it's a surprisingly modern movie for a film that's now almost 40 years old. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think the thing is, I could see there there have been other movies that have tackled this thematic idea of this is on its way out after this and done it. You know, that that that's why it feels quite fresh. And there's almost this kind of meta idea about it that is being very self-referential to the idea of the 50s, 60s and 70s Western um, which, you know, is very intelligent cinema making and that, I, you know, I appreciate that and I, I see exactly what you mean about thematics and all the rest and I can I can grab to the poignancy of that a lot of my a lot of my issues all come back to John Wayne and I can't, I can't get around that and that's what that's the thing that basically I, I want to latch on in this movie. I want to latch on to this character who's dying, who, you know, is having to weigh up the fact that he has dealt death on people indiscriminately in the past without, you know, we saw him at the beginning just shooting a guy in the stomach. You know, he, he's dealt out with, with little thought and now that he has to weigh up the, the the levels of his mortality, what he's worth, you know, how his actions will be carried to the future, his legacy and whatnot, is John Wayne that's doing it and John Wayne can't do it. Um and that's that's my biggest my biggest gripe. Alright. I unless you have anything more to add, I feel like we have some things to discuss here. Yeah, I think we do. Um so without further ado, let <laughs> us move to our final act where not only will we decide who uh has come most correct in our discussion of Westerns, but we will reveal who are candidates for the worst movies that the other person oh, hasn't okay. seen for our final episode of season one of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Part four, Rusty and Loose. And so, the truly the end of good movies for season <laughs> one of Duncan and Bo Not Come forever. Correct. Not forever. Not forever. Season one, the end of good movies for our discussions is done. There are no more mm-hmm. films to present to one another. The ones we'll be presenting next week are god awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> but are kind of awesome in the same but, way. Yeah. Oh my god. Anyway, we'll get to it. First, we have some business to sort out, which is who has come most correct this week. <sighs> and I'm. I feel like I'm going to make this easy on you, Duncan. You're going to make it easy on me. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, you can't say John Wayne did this movie with one lung. That is not fair, Bo. <laughs> well, it's true. Uh, and and he also, you know, didn't survive long after. And I know that doesn't mean anything to you. And, and... <laughs> but you know, you don't care the about monster of the show, the death of iconic American actors. I know that is meaningless to someone like yourself, Duncan. Um, no, I will. I will say if. If I have picked a film in which the central performance is an absolute blockade for your enjoyment of the rest of the film, I think I have to just admit outright, I did not come most correct. And and the, and the proposition is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and it does not contain a central performance. That, that I could not get behind. Like, it's it's filled with great performances. I, I would still argue that this is one of John Wayne's best performances, but that's grading on a curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I, I, don't, I don't want it to seem like I don't like John Wayne, so I don't like this movie. Um, 
because, like I say, I'm not a massive fan, but I have seen works of John Wayne before, and you know, I've seen True Grit. I love True Grit. Um, and John Wayne is a guy in that, uh, playing John Wayne. And yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, um, I, I, I think uh, to me the the. the it's academic on what one I think is the better movie. Um overall. Just just on just even even if we're stripping down to component parts, I think my movie is better. Um however, that is not to say I I I've just got this feeling that there's gonna be lots of people listening to this having their cornflakes for breakfast and just spitting into their bowl right now. And uh, they would not be wrong. <laughs> I just can't, I can't I can't I, tr- I tried um, and technically technically it's my own fault because you did give me a list of movies most of which I had seen I think the two that were on the list I hadn't seen were both John Wayne movies I yeah. think and the other one was probably Man Who Shot Liberty Valance yeah I've not seen that one okay. so, which is, is probably that... the superior film of these two to be fair right so te- but, technically, I've kind of I've kind of shot myself in the foot, very similar to the guy in the proposition, um, <laughs> which is a shot great myself. Scene. Yeah, shot myself in the toe. Um, so yeah, I, I, the thing is, I, I I just can't I can't I can't I I think it's I think thematically and I think the ideas and I think the script and I think everything about the shootist is great except the lead and the lead is the guy we spend the majority of the movie with it's basically the linchpin in the movie and to me it's a bit it's a bit rusty and loose um that's the linchpin not john wayne um mm-hmm. so yeah yeah i i, I my, my, my one's my one's definitely my choice uh which kind of it's a bit sneaky but if if this were a show in which i was presenting a film to our audience Mm-hmm. and saying, of these two films, here's the one I think you, the audience, should watch, I would go with The Shootist. But that is not the show we're doing here, Duncan. Yeah. I am presenting a film to you, sir. And <laughs> if I didn't, if I failed in my task to present to you a film that could make you think to yourself, you know what, I'll be goddamn this movie is better than the proposition. And I mm-hmm. don't feel like I did that. Uh, and, and it's not your fault for picking a John Wayne film because I offered you two of those. Yeah. So either way you went, this was going to be an issue. So it's, it's funny cause I don't consider myself like, I don't consider my, myself a, a fan of wet. Well, I do consider myself that now, now after this. Sure. Sure. Uh, that's right. Uh, after shitting on John Wayne's grave. <laughs> right. you, know, yeah, yeah, you and Harry like Morgan. A, yeah. Yeah. I feel a bit like, a bit like a dick, but, um, yeah, I, I think I, I don't consider myself much of a fan of Westerns. And it was surprising that when you sent that list of movies to me and there wasn't a distress, it wasn't like three or four movies, it was about seven or eight movies there. And I'd seen the majority of them. And I was like, maybe, and the, the, the most of them, I was like that. I, I genuinely thought I was walking into like a, a, an unbeatable task watching the shooters because of all the ones you listed that I had seen, I love those movies. love every single one of them. Yeah, I don't consider myself a fan of Westerns, which is kind of, it's, it's almost it's almost hypocritical because those are Western movies. So I, I've obviously seen a lot more and enjoy them a lot more than I I let on. Yeah, I had to admit to myself not too long ago that I don't hate musicals. And I would have told yeah. you that I did, and then I started thinking about musicals I really liked, and I realized I like musicals, I just like... I, I don't like shitty by-the-numbers musicals, I like really good ones. 
And, yeah, and yeah. I think that's how you are with Westerns. I think, I think yeah. the average run of the mill meat and potatoes Western isn't going to do much for you, but you put a little mustard on it, <laughs> as we say in baseball, Duncan, and you know how, <laughs> what sports fans we are. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, I think the proposition wins. I think, uh, and I don't say that dismissively. It is a great movie. People should see it. Um, and uh, and I would also say if you've never seen the shootist, despite oh, yeah, <laughs> despite the 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 naysaying of our black-hearted co-host, <laughs> I'm going to hell of his his complete dismissal of an actor that was beloved for literally five decades of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you can ignore all that, yeah, and and watch the shootist anyway because I I would say even if you're not a John Wayne fan it's worth seeing uh for not just the other performances but but really the uh the the swan song of an icon um so yeah the uh the second to last episode season 1 Duncan and Bo come correct the proposition yeah. is uh is, is our winner and mm-hmm. and that kind of cements you as the ultimate winner of uh season 1 because I, I, I had to run uh, yeah. the table, but yeah, I think I think our listeners are the ultimate winner. I've said this before. Regardless who won overall in this season between myself and yourself, thus far, um, our listeners have had what will that be? It's eleven episodes. There's twenty two movies, mm-hmm. which if they have not checked out, we are recommending. So, uh, tell me any other show that does that, listeners. I don't think you'll find one. So, um, which leads us on, Bo, to our picks. Now, neither one of us know yeah. what we have in store for the other person. So, um, do you want me to, to, to go first? Well, should we, just for the yeah. sake of clarification, should we say, like, the, the last episode will be referred to as Duncan and Bo come incorrect, <laughs> in which we present to each other the worst movies that are still watchable even maybe kind of amazing in their badness. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the ground rules that we've laid ha, have been, they can't just be like some run of the mill Netflix zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there's gotta be something particularly wonderfully bad. And uh, yeah, <laughs> without further ado, Duncan, I cannot wait to hear what yours is. Right. Mings is from 1963. <laughs> it's basically, yeah, Mings is, Mings is deemed as being the birth of the splatter genre. Um, it's directed by Herschel Gordon Lewis. Um, it features on the video nasty list. Um, and it's a, a little movie uh, known as Blood Feast. And boy, you've got to see this movie. This movie is fucking wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. It's terrible. It's <laughs> One of, the okay. worst films, one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire life. You are going to have a field day. And the discussion that we're going to have in this movie is going to be one for the annals of history. Yeah, I I am aware of of uh, Blood Feast, obviously. I mean, H.G. Lewis is is a name that gets bandied about in horror films quite a bit. Uh, Blood Feast, what, 2000 Maniacs? Mm. Number, number of movies. Not known for his storytelling prowess. No. <laughs> Um, I would love to see that this one, you know, bucks that train. But... <laughs> but but maybe not. Uh, I'm excited. I've never sat down to watch Blood Feast cover to cover. I've seen a couple of scenes here and there, but I've never just wallowed 
in the experience of a Blood Feast viewing. So, right, right, throw at me, Bo. That choice? is really famous for for a movie that is your your choice. I it's it's surprising I haven't seen it to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was surprising I hadn't seen it either, and then I realized when I watched it why I hadn't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, your film. Mm-hmm. is 1991's Winter Beast. I have never seen Winter Beast. Winter Beast is... How to describe it? Uh, I dare you to to parse a, a, an intelligible plot line from this film. Um, there is stop-motion animation. There is a skeletal fellow lip-syncing, uh, lip-syncing to a song... That sounds like Tiny Tim could have done it. Oh, did did I've I, I just read the synopsis on IMDb? Oh, it does, oh my no, god, that is not okay. And the synopsis. Let, let's go spoil the Winter Bee synopsis. It says, in a wintry kind of town somewhere, people are being killed off by possessed totem poles. Doesn't like do it justice. That is the worst synopsis ever, though. In a wintry kind of town somewhere. Yeah, that's well, that's the most accurate portion of the synopsis. The totem poles kind of pop in, and I think maybe there's... I don't know if they really play a part in the end of it. I don't recall them being a real big deal at the end of that movie. Mm. Um, there is a dinosaur. Oh, dear God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I need to see this movie, bro. I need you, to see this movie. You are going to love it. Oh, my oh, goodness. I can't wait. Uh, it is if if memory serves the it was shot over about three years and the uh it, it's one of those wonderful movies where mustaches and hairstyles vary from scene to scene in mm-hmm. kind of a terrific way uh yeah anyway so next uh next time out duncan we will be discussing blood feast mm-hmm. the hg lewis original and uh winter beast um, you know, theoretically directed by Christopher Thies, although I I would be hard pressed to really call this movie directed. So I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I, I can't I'm, wait. I'm absolutely wait. giddy to discuss both of these movies because <laughs> they are going to be so rotten that uh, I, I think I think we are both going to be delighted. Um, yeah, I can't wait. All right, well, to wrap things up here, Duncan, uh, anything uh, upcoming you are uh, are looking forward to seeing? Um, I, to be honest, I think I'm caught up with everything thus far. Um, I, I like I say, I'll probably just be marking more of the the list of Bava movies that I haven't checked out yet off, um, as opposed to checking out any new movies. Um, uh, there, there'll be another rung of them coming out in just just over a month when once again we get closer to to the Oscars where more movies will be released in this country. But at the moment, that's the the main ones. I uh, you may be aware of a certain podcaster who is uh, putting together a roundtable <laughs> to discuss a director's films. Yes, and as <laughs> such, I am really looking forward to watching. Uh, uh, Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic movie. I haven't watched it in a very long time, and I've been kind of going through and, and watching uh, a lot of the back catalog and even stuff like mm-hmm. Memoirs of an Invisible Man and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, But that's one that I've been kind of saving a little bit because uh, uh, after doing the Westerns, 
um, that is a movie that definitely has its roots in the uh, the Western genre. Definitely. And uh, so I've been looking forward to watching that again. And I, I'll tell you, man, the, the one I'm really looking forward to, just because uh, of all the buzz it's getting, really excited to finally see It Follows. Yeah, I've heard, I spoke about this on the, the previous show, That is that has been pitched to me as being the movie which will, will dominate uh, the the horror lists in 2015 so really looking forward apparently it is genuinely scary and these are people that I know that have strong constitutions that um, if they're telling me this movie scared them uh, when it did its uh, festival run then there's a very good chance it will scare me which is something I've not been able to say in a long time. Excellent excellent. Alright well you can check this show out uh, which if you're listening to it I guess you are uh, and, and many, many others, including uh, Podcast Under the Stairs. Um, at uh, legionpodcast.com, you can follow us on Twitter at Legion Podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, where you can uh, keep an eye out for new releases as they drop, as well as every now and then uh, I get on there and, and talk about what a monster Duncan is. Um, <laughs> that's not 100% of what I do uh, with that Twitter feed, but yeah, I mean, like 30%? is probably a realistic number. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, uh, check us out there at Legion podcast. You can find, uh, us on Facebook, uh, there as well. And, uh, Duncan, how about yourself? Uh, first of all, let me just pitch it for you. Video nasties. Mm-hmm. You should absolutely, li- absolutely listen to because yeah. it is a combination of informative and hilarious in a way that I'm jealous of. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, officially out on Horophilia. The podcast is called Doing the Nasty uh, because I, I like double entendres. <laughs> I don't know if that's a double entendre. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think it is either. It may just be entendre. I, I, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I like double entendres when I know what they are. Um, so, yeah, that, that show's just started, so we're two episodes in. Isn't it um, Frenchie? Yeah, it's only it's only going to last this year because we've done the math. There's only 72 movies on that list, and if we're doing three per episode, it'll finish probably for about Christmas time. So it uh, drops once uh, a fortnight every two weeks, so check it out. Excellent. All right, well, uh, please, if you would, join us for our final episode of Season 1. Uh, as we've mentioned, that's going to be Blood Feast and Winter Beast. Ironically, <laughs> uh, rhyming titles. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I don't think that's the only ironic thing that's going to come out of that episode. <laughs> there, uh, there is a chance you may buy me a gift after uh, after seeing Winter Beast, just just as, as a token of things, a, a, a spontaneous gesture of goodwill after your uh, your craven trashing of one of America's heroes in this episode. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I have a feeling we may get some letters. Also, DBCC uh, at dbccpodcast.com. If you would like to uh, recommend a movie to us for season two, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll throw that out on the uh, the Facebook uh, page for Legion Podcast as well and see if anyone has uh, a couple ideas for movies. Uh, I'm kind of thinking maybe about a two-month break for us to get our shit together. Yep. And we'll be back with uh, season two, but but that's down the road. First, we've got terrible, terrible movies to talk about. Oh, can't wait! Can't and wait. we will uh, we will talk to you again in a fortnight to discuss those very 
uh, films. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Duncan, anything else you would like to add? Just thanks to everyone for checking out the show and all the support. Look forward to speaking to you um, very soon about some some awful movies. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll see you then, everybody. Cross that.